Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of another film podcast. My name is Tierney. My name is Matt. <laughs> I don't know what was so funny. I'm Colin. <laughs> it was <laughs> Matt. Matt just had this look of just extreme annoyance right before we started recording it was like that had me giggling and then when he just jumped in before i could go it just really set me off things are going great over here you guys yeah i was disappointed that tierney's snap was bad and that you didn't like it sorry and then i stole colin's spot i've disappointed everybody i'm so sorry haven't we all i think we can probably move on from this without too yeah. many hurt feelings we'll see well though. i think we might as well tell everyone that this is our last episode period because we've disappointed everyone so much <laughs> we're not gonna do it everyone everyone we disappointed being everyone every space one <laughs> one person uh parenthesis open parenthesis number one close parenthesis just in case yeah. the- <laughs> <laughs> um so, so we're talking about a movie. Oh, this one, this one's actually kind of uh, special because this is the last one of our film fest run of 2020. Yeah, yeah. we did it. So you gotta wait till next year for the the pick the picks again. Mm-hmm. Gotta wait or something. I'm picking shit <laughs> until next year. <laughs> there will be bonus ones, though, right? Yeah, but we're not picking them. Those are those are told to us by our, our bosses of this podcast. The podcast gods, yeah. The Patreon producers. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness. Um, so yeah, this is our last one of the film fests. We'll see what what comes uh, after this. But for now, we've got we still got one more movie to talk about. So T, this was your pick. What what it did was. you pick? Why did you pick it? Tell us tell us which tell us what we need to know. I picked what Roma. is it. <clears throat> As I was saying, I picked, I picked Roma because it's a fantastic movie, and it's a masterpiece. Beautiful. And uh, I hadn't seen it in a while, and I wanted to watch it again, so I made you guys all watch it with me. <laughs> no, it's I love this movie. I saw okay. I guess I'll do the first the whole introduction thing. I first saw this movie at the Music Box in Ugh. Chicago, uh, and was pretty much enamored uh, the within the first few minutes, especially by the time you see the dead pulling into the garage. Um, and just the whole thing was a delight, and uh, I just love it so much. And I th- what's weird <clears throat> is I think about it a lot. Like, oh, I interesting. I don't know, it just comes into my mind a lot, but then I don't re-watch it and... That so that's what this was. Oh boy. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I I get that though because like so this movie came out in 2018, which was the year that we all went our separate ways. Um, and oh yeah, we, you guys didn't get to see it at the music box. We did not. No, did you I see did it not. on Netflix? No. So no. I will say, um, <laughs> I. Obviously, like, seeing it at the music box would have been my preferred method of seeing this movie. Um, But it just, like, was not practical. Uh, 
but I w- Matt and I did get a chance to see it in the in a theater um, together. We saw it together, yeah, which I was really excited about because uh, were you were you going on your way to Chicago for Christmas or on your way back? Yes. Okay, I was I going c- to. I flew to Denver first, and then Chicago, and then the next year I went to Chicago first, and then came back to Denver. That's right. But anyway, yeah. So Matt and I got did get a chance to see it together in a theater. Which I'm very, very, very glad we got a chance to see it in a theater. Because I think, um, so I, for the podcast, I rewatched it um, at my apartment. And it's good. Like, it's still a very, very, very good, beautiful, moving film. But I would have been really pissed if the first time I saw this movie <clears throat> was just at my apartment or at my house on Netflix. Um, I feel like this is a movie that definitely needed to be seen in a theater and not just for like the, the reasons why you normally need to see movies in a theater. Like there's nothing, there's not like a, an action set piece. That's like, Oh yeah, you need to see it on the biggest screen or, you know, it's a very, very slow and very quiet movie. Um, but it just but like every shot is a fucking masterpiece. Yeah. Is like it, every, every single shot of this movie is beautiful Um, the sound design of this movie is beautiful and I just, Mm -hmm. there's, there's just so much to appreciate about this movie that I definitely would not have appreciated if the first time I saw it would have been at home on Netflix. Having said that though, I do get where you're coming from. Cause like as wonderful as this movie is, it is not a movie that I am like, man, I'm going to go rewatch Roma. <laughs> like, it's like, it's, uh, it's, it's just something that I'm like, yes, I'm glad I've seen that movie and I will, will rewatch it from time to time, but it's not like a banger that I'm going to go back to, you know, day after day after day. One thing that I realized, I know Matt still needs to go, but just add, adding up to that. <laughs> no, don't worry about me. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I realized in watching it this time is it's like a novel Mm-hmm. Not in the sense that, like, I'm sure both people are like, oh, because it's so long, when it isn't that long. No, it's not. <laughs> um, but it's it's so, like, dense to the point where, like, I finished watching it this time, and I was like, I want to read that book. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, to where, like, you don't, most people don't finish a book and reread the book entirely. They'll, like, think about it from time to time and then come back to it, like, a year or so later. Yeah. Yeah, this definitely okay, feels like a, a movie that I. <laughs> I actually do have something to say, but it, I thought it would be funny if I just jumped in there. <laughs> um, it does. It's. It feels like a movie that I will watch like once every couple of years and like just really like sink my teeth into it and really appreciate it, and then just kind of put it back on the shelf for a little while. Anyway, Matt, <laughs> it's your it's turn good. now. Finally. <laughs> It's fine. Uh, no, my thoughts are, uh, I would say not only is it a movie that deserves to be on screen, I think, uh, and I haven't thought of all of the movies, uh, but I think it might be the only Netflix original movie that deserves to be seen on a big screen. Irishman is most another Netflix original. Like I said, I think this might be the only movie that deserves to be seen on the big screen. Um... But I think a lot of their movies feel somehow cheap. Like, when you're watching it, you're like, oh, okay. So, like, they couldn't have the best special effects or they couldn't, like, 
have the best costuming uh, in certain <clears throat> cases of movies. I feel like the movies always have like a weird editing thing. It's just it's a it's like an unnameable distance between you and a Netflix movie that feels like it's cheap. And Roma defies all of that. And uh, the same way that I think Phantom Thread. Uh, which is another movie that I think feels like a novel um, that you're watching the movie version of. Uh, but in the same way that, like, within the first five minutes, two minutes, uh, some reviewer said this a Phantom Thread, and I feel like it's it applies to Roma, of, like, you immediately know you're in the hands of a master mm-hmm. who, like, knows what they're doing and isn't, isn't using conventions uh, to, like, get you into <clears throat> the world. It's like... This, this very patient and very specific uh, direction. And I think Roma has that in spades. I think uh, it feels like this epic, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is why it also feels like a novel. It feels so <clears throat> big and so specific uh, in a way that, like, the plot is not the important thing, but it is the it does drive the action. Like, choices that characters make have lasting consequences... Uh, and emotional impact, and we get it over and over and over again. And this uh, this very specific, clear picture of Mexico City in the 1970s, and who lived there, and what life was like, and it's it's just a masterpiece. It's so beautiful, <coughs> and we'll I mean we're gonna rave about it so much that <clears throat> I'm sure it'll come up before the very end. But the fact that this didn't win Best Picture oh. is like. <laughs> A crime. The like, f- this is one of the few movies where I'm like, there was no competition that mm-hmm. year compared to Roma. Roma was, is like, uh, in was... the same way that I watched Citizen Kane and was like, oh yeah, okay, that makes sense that this is like a movie that everybody considers perfect. I think Roma is a perfect movie. I think it mm-hmm. like just does what it's supposed to do constantly and confidently. Uh, in a way that makes you just love experiencing the movie and how rich it is. And, like, like with Parasite and, like, with other, like, fantastic foreign movies, like, forget that you're reading subtitles because you feel like you're such a part of the world that you're just understanding what they're saying um, in your ear. Uh, I, yeah, I think it's just a phenomenal movie, and I'm so glad that we get to talk about it. Um, I want to jump off a, a couple of things that you mentioned. First of all... Um, we can talk more about this later if we want to. Um, but to your point of like forgetting about the subtitles and tyranny to your point about how beautiful every shot is, there were several moments. The first time I saw it, I was like very into the movie and reading the subtitles and everything. But when I was rewatching it the other day, there were like three or four times I caught myself just like not reading the subtitles at all. I don't speak Spanish. I have no idea what they're saying. But, like, the pictures and everything that was happening was just so beautiful and so captivating that I was just, like, I would catch myself, like, oh, I've just been watching this screen for two minutes, and I have no idea what anybody was saying during that time. But I don't care. Like, I'm not going to go back and rewind and try and catch what they said. Because, like you said, Matt, it doesn't matter. Like, I, I, I don't need to know what they're saying. This... Quaron is such a master at this visual storytelling that it doesn't fucking matter what anybody's saying because you can get everything that you need to get by what he puts <clears> on the screen, um, which is just like truly astounding. Um, can I add other... to that? 
Oh yeah, oh, absolutely. Sorry, no, 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 no. I mean, we. No, you go. My, uh, the other thing I was just gonna say is like I th- I think you're probably right, Matt. I I also did not think too hard about like all the Netflix release films, um, but it it is interesting because you're right. Every Netflix movie I've seen, with the exception of Roma, and I would say The Irishman, but you guys haven't seen it, so that's fine. Um, just they, something about them feels off, and it's hard to put your finger on what it is but just like something doesn't quite feel right um which is weird because like netflix's whole thing is that they give people ungodly amounts of money to do whatever the hell they want so it's just like i mean that's the story that we're like you know the general public is told who knows how much like they're actually involved i don't know but, like, the story that we're all told is that, like, oh, yeah, Martin Scorsese couldn't get money to make this movie that's been a passion of his for 20 years, and finally Netflix gave him a blank check. Or um, Alfonso Cuaron wanted to make this, like, super specific version of his childhood in a different language, two different languages, and every studio was like, nah, dude. And Netflix was like, yeah, dude. And so it's like, it's weird that they're, like willing to give out all of this money and do these crazy things. And yet for the most part, all of their movies just like kind of seem off. And I don't really know why that is. And I feel like it they're all off in their own that, different ways too. It could be that like, like uh, some movies might use their blank check to pay for better actors instead of a good script. Sure. Versus like, uh, Quaron would have been like, no, I'm going to use this to recreate a 1970s four-block radius from yeah. Mexico City. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. The syntax of that sentence was all wrong. But... <laughs> no, but I get it. I think, I think the other thing is, like, Netflix movies in particular feel off, where Manchester by the Sea, Suspiria, a bunch of other Amazon Prime mm-hmm. original movies that they produced, or Amazon Studios, don't feel like that. Mm-hmm. They feel like normal movies. But Netflix movies just feel like the only word that I keep thinking of is like gray. It feels just like somewhat muted. They in feel like something. CW television shows. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I mean, The Old Guard, which is the only one I keep thinking of. That movie sucked, in my opinion. I just like thought it felt like nothing. It was like not specific. It just felt like bland in the same way that like all their movies, a lot of their movies just feel bland. And Roma is such a incredibly rich and like the every shot in black and white uh is just the highest definition possible and like mm-hmm. the effort put into making uh every shot this like crisp beautiful like simple and like profound uh image is so uh recognizable throughout like Quran really just knows what he's doing and it doesn't matter that it's on a Netflix budget, whatever that even was. Um, and I, it really should have won Best Picture. I'll keep saying it. But like, <laughs> yeah, I this was... movie feels like one for that'll last decades, and that they'll use to tell people about certain events like Mexico City in 1970. Mm-hmm. Matt and Colin texted earlier this week, uh, or Colin, I think you did, to remind us that Green Book won instead of Roma. Mm-hmm. And in my mind. I had, I guess, blocked that out and was just like, oh yeah, Roma won Best Foreign Language and Best Picture. And then I was like, were we sure about this? (laughs) 
Um, but one other thing I was going to add to sort of what you were just saying, Matt, and then also Colin was talking about in terms of subtitles is, uh, like, the, what is on screen? And this is where second viewing, I think, uh, did it for me. But there's a lot of little things on screen that watching, like, in the same way you reread a book, you see all the foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and so rewatching this movie, you see not only, like, the foreshadowing of what's going to come, but then also, like, there are not, like, I was going to say social commentaries, but that's not the right word because it's not really a commentary, but the depiction of, like, social life in, social life is the wrong <laughs> wrong word as well but like the different people in Mexico and how they interact mm-hmm. is very like <clears throat> subtly done and it's something where the first time I didn't fully grasp it but then this time around I was able to see more of like the intricacies of it and I think that is like I'm like in awe of how that is done Yeah, because it's a complex like you're depicting life across the board in like a very subtle way I don't know I was very impressed and that's where it feels like a novel where I'm like I want to read this book (laughs) yeah yeah and I think uh I I think we should just dive in uh because from the go from the very start the intro that there will be subtitles both yes in Mexteca and Spanish and there's some English but the fact that that is not just like uh, like there will be subtitles, but like specifically telling you there's going to be two different languages you probably don't know that you're going to have to read. Uh, and the way that they do that right away of everything in brackets, your understanding is Mixteca, and everything not is is typical Spanish. And from the first five minutes, uh, one of the kids is like, "Stop speaking like that." Like, why do you talk like that? Yeah. And already you get the sense that, like, there's a class difference, even within the household. And that uh, uh, Cleo and uh, the other um, maid speak. Adela? Adela? I wanted to say Elena, but I was like, I know that that's not right. (laughs) Yeah. But the fact that they speak to each other when directing each other to say, like, can you grab this? Can you go do that? In Mexteca and then switch to Spanish to speak to the kids is so it's so layered and it already adds such like a an importance to the way they're interacting with each other even if they're just talking about getting strawberries from the kitchen you understand mm-hmm. the dynamics of power of control of respect mm-hmm. uh, and it's just in the fact that two different languages are being spoken and subtitled at the same time incredible yeah mm-hmm. I remember the first time when we saw this Matt I remember like just being in awe of that like title card that just came up like it's like one of the first things you see is like you get like the production logos and all that other stuff and then before anything else happens it's just like by the way here's the here's what you need to know and not only are they telling you here's how spanish is going to be written here's how mixteca is going to be written but on top of both of those all other languages are purposefully not going to be done. Like we're not doing anything with those. None of those languages mm-hmm. are important here. It's literally just these two. And like, yeah, they speak a little English, but English is not 
it's that's not what's happening here and so we're we're not giving any credence to any of that like this is what your focus should be on and i i just remember being like awed at that choice like just just from jump because like i can't imagine any other movie doing something like that um and i mean i haven't seen a lot of foreign films by any stretch of the imagination but like you know i see most of the ones that are nominated every year for academy awards i see a small handful of other ones and i like i said i I just can't imagine any other film doing something like that and not only doing it but just like feeling doing it well well yeah like a doing it well but just like feeling like oh this was a choice and not necessarily like hey we're just giving you this information so you have the background information this felt like a very specific and very direct choice that they were doing this and not as like a handhold to the audience, um, which nothing about this movie holds the audience's hand, which I really, really appreciate. Like, oh, I love it. It's, it's like, it's not. And I, cause it was weird when like, obviously like all every, you know, my family, a bunch of my friends, they know how, how much I watch. Like I see a lot of movies and they're always like, Oh, what's good. What should I see? And I felt really weird recommending this to most people because i like as beautiful as this movie is i can totally see why some people would not get the vibe of this movie um so it was like hard for me to be like yeah everybody go home right now and turn on your tv and go to netflix and watch roma (laughs) like spend two hours like it just like everybody should watch this movie it's a beautiful movie but i also know that like if i tell people that they should go watch this most people are going to be like that movie sucked and that's, I mean, that's a bummer for them, but, um, yeah. I straight up I told people it was the best movie idiots. of the year. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it is. It was, it, it was, uh, uh and I, I also, think like, no, you go to you go. What if I go? Yeah, you go, Matt. <laughs> we got to stop doing this when some, somebody's got to talk. I was just going to say to add to like other, um, I don't know. I was just going to start listing other examples of where there's so much depth to what you're seeing um, that I just thought was cool. Like one of the the scene, the Christmas scene when they're at the Hacienda or Hacienda mm-hmm. um, and like there's all the people in that like game room, which is funny because they're playing games, but there's also dead animals everywhere. <laughs> uh, so it's like a double game room. Um, oh, yeah. But you see all of, like, the friends and their cousins, and there's, this time I saw there was a girl who was just straight up chugging empty glass, or almost, like, abandoned glasses, and mm-hmm. then her friend, she offered one to her friend, and her friend was like, no, 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 and then she just chugged another one while her friend watched to make sure her parents were watching, and they were, like, 12. Like, there's so many, like, little things yeah. that, like, I feel like you have to keep rewatching this. Guys, I'm just trying to say that two hours and 15 minutes of this story is not enough. <laughs> yeah. This, I mean, that's I think, my thesis of this book. <laughs> I think exactly what you're saying, though, is true of like, I didn't even notice those girls in the background, but there's so many moments of uh, crowded scenes. Mm-hmm. Of everybody's everywhere and everyone's doing their own thing. Like when Cleo leaves the movie theater after Fermin's. Oh, my a, God. Is an asshole and leaves her. Uh, and like the chaos of people leaving the theater and the vendors outside trying to sell little toys that do things or food, uh, people just like shuffling out from the theater, 
Um, there's and I mean the the biggest like climactic scene of the department store where it's just like this eruption of action and bodies and violence and it's just so much noise that you really do have to kind of keep watching because you're either reading the subtitles or you're looking at those spots that aren't drawing your eye immediately and finding new details that really flesh out uh how lived in Mm -hmm. every room every house every part of the city is um which does feel epic it feels so big and so vast in in its coverage of who these people are but it's ultimately just about this family Mm -hmm. and even the kids have a lot of personality but you know not a lot happens to them individually they're just kind of this like unit uh and i think cleo and um the mother have the most that happens internally and externally to them um and that's the driving force of the whole movie i would say that in the same way that everything is so fast everything is so specific and it almost Mm -hmm. feels like you're watching a documentary because each one of those kids is so different Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're like similar in the sense that they're all family, but it's like uh, I believe Pepe is the youngest one. He's my favorite because <laughs> he is adorable and also talks about how when he was old, when he was older. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and when he, I wrote yeah. down uh, the game they play on the rooftop of being dead is or when when she lays down and goes, I like being dead, is one of the best nanny games. <laughs> I was a big fan of that. <laughs> um, but I, Just some R&R. <laughs> it's pretty much like, can I get paid to lay here and yeah. not work? <laughs> uh, but, um, like, each of the kids is so different, and, like, you almost get a sense of, because they're in a, like, bigger family, and they're all, like, ragging on each other you get a sense of like their own insecurities like the fact that Sophie is always called fat uh and that like uh I think Tonio is the oldest one is like the sports one like I don't know you get a sense of like these are all people mm-hmm. here's a question and he has for you friends guys. over yeah who do you think which of the kids do you think would be Alfonso oh it's the youngest oh it I is think. I I think he said it okay Oh, I I assumed it was the youngest, but I didn't know for sure. I I mean, did he? You said I think he, he said he was the youngest in his family, and so that line about like when I was an old man uh, was like him. Either he had said that in real life, or that was just something that like he included because that character's supposed to be kind of this like poetic uh, reflection of him. But I think he also has the closest relationship to Cleo. Yeah. Um, which he had with his nanny. And so there's mm-hmm. like the similarity in that sense. It could have, I also thought Paco? the way that the oldest, yeah, Paco, because he's such a complicated child and because so much happens to him that is internalized and that mm-hmm. he is oldest, so he's aware of the gravity of certain things. Yeah. Uh, I was like, it could have been him, but I think he said he's the, he was supposed to be the youngest. We can look it up, but. You heard it here um, first, guys. <laughs> we don't know. <laughs> breaking news. Breaking news over here about a movie that came out two years ago that uh, Matt thinks that he read something about that has already been published. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think one of the things, and I mentioned this earlier, but I think it just goes to what you guys are saying about how 
everything about this world just feels so fully realized and so fully lived in is the sound design, which is, like, Mm -hmm. truly just mesmerizing. Like, every Mm -hmm. single moment of this movie feels like, like, or the sounds that accompany every single moment of this movie feel like they were thought about and they were put there for a very specific purpose. And I think that, like, the fact that you just, like, hear the sounds of the city, like, when when she's just, like, doing stuff outside and you can just hear people walking by and you can hear, like, dogs barking and you can hear birds chirping and you can just hear these things that, like, most movies would edit out. Like, most movies wouldn't do that. Or if they did, they would just mix it so that it's so quiet that you're just like, oh, yeah, I guess they're outside because I can sort of hear some birds chirping or something. But um, the way that that this movie just makes every single moment feel and sound like it's something that's real, just grounds you even more than the story, which is already like grounding you very, like there's so much to love here. But I just, I remember that was like the thing that like mostly blew me away when we, when we first saw this movie, it was just like, I could not get over how good this movie sounded. Um, And the final shot, the plane, Mm. like, when does a plane that isn't that isn't uh, containing some character important to a story? I think there are three Almost of them in never. this one. Well, and that was yeah. one thing I noticed, which uh, I don't know, like, what it necessarily means, but I just thought it was interesting. Like, one of the first shots we get of the movie is obviously, like, she's cleaning that, like, driveway, Ooh. basically. <laughs> she's just, by the way, that dog shits so much. So like, it much. is out of control yeah. how much dog shit there is in that movie. But it's so funny. <laughs> it's hilarious. But it's just like, oh, my God. And, I like, I think part of it is that, like, there's not a very, like, strict, co- like, time coherence. Um, which is fine. Like, there doesn't need to be. But, like... Uh, at first, it's like, didn't she just clean that driveway? And now there's, like, 15 piles of shit on that driveway? Like, what the fuck is this dog doing? Um, but, yeah, so she's, like, cleaning that driveway. And all the water, like, pools. And you just see the reflection of an airplane flying over. It's one of the first things you see in the movie. And then the final shot of the movie is just the skyline. And you just see an airplane flying over. And, again, I don't know, like if that means anything what it means but i just thought that that was like a really beautiful way to like tie the the beginning and the ending together um and just like a really sweet and really simple way you because you see another one when she goes to the training to for means training ground oh yeah see another airplane and i was wondering if i just assumed they were like axe oh interesting maybe i mean the sound the roar of it is such like a that like exactly like you're saying like typically you just edit out that sound Mm -hmm. or unless you need to hear an airplane taking off you just Mm -hmm. don't include it but in this it's just a sense of the environment Mm -hmm. of just Mm -hmm. like planes are traveling this is like a very well-traveled city people are coming in and out um and what i think i mean uh maybe this will kind of frame some of the conversation but i think the theme of the movie is as above so below yeah of the fact that, like, the first time we see the sky is on the ground. Yep. And then the last shot, we're just looking up at it. But she's... But, like, Cleo... Uh, the way a, a bunch of reviewers had said it, like, ascends into heaven. Like, walks way, 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 way high up onto the roof. 
and then disappears into the sky. And so this sense of that, like, it's all the same. Like, whether you're rich and uh, think that you're protected because you're married to a doctor uh, and you have this wealthy lifestyle, or the family's nanny who, uh, like, can't sit down to watch a TV and it gets left by the person who makes you pregnant... It, there's problems and like you'll always there'll always be conflict and there'll always be love and there'll always be uh pain and joy and i think that ends up uh being reflected so many times of these like beautiful places or events immediately butted against by tragedy or trauma or terror um fire at the rich ranch mm-hmm. yeah the um the like beautiful department store with all these cribs and then the violence that explodes into it mm-hmm. like the expensive cribs that they're like no we bought the kids furniture here so like they'll give us the discount it's just like okay yeah. <laughs> and like the way that the doctors like in that emergency room like so many of the people are super sick but then there's so many people also giving birth and yeah. then mm-hmm. uh like the way the doctors handle the death of the baby um i would agree with this i would agree with this sentiment i did want to go back really quick when you were talking about sound i just don't want to forget that this is the second movie i guess it was a few movies ago uh to have a marching band while something (laughs) sad is happening And it's funny, too, because you hear the marching band, like, blocks away, and yep. then it comes closer and closer and closer, <laughs> and then they sound like, what as they pass, you hear, like, each individual instrument instead of, like, the group itself. Yeah, that. so that was the, another thing that I wanted to mention, was just, like, in addition to just, like, the actual sound, like, in addition to the sounds that they are using, the mixing of the sound is incredible. Like, the... Like, they really adhere to, like, a, like the Doppler effect, which is, like, a thing that happens in real life that never happens in movies, but 100% happens in this one, um, which is exactly what you're talking about. Like, you know, the closer something is, the louder it's going to be, and the farther it is away from you, the quieter it's going to be, right? And so, like, there are scenes in this movie where, like, Cleo is on screen, but she's, like, kind of like in the background, you know, or like in the, the back of the, the shot and her voice is very quiet. And it's just like, it's such a clever choice that like we, we are the camera and we are just literally living in this world and everything that's going on is just built to support that. So it's like, yeah, if Cleo is really close to you, you're going to hear what she's saying really easily. But if she's off in one of the kids rooms, you're only going to hear what she's saying very quietly. Um, and I, I just think like, it's just so incredible and I can't, I, I know nothing about sound mixing, but I have to imagine that that was like a very, very, very significant part of the post-production for this movie in a way that I can't imagine it is for nearly any other movie. Uh, would agree. I also just remembered another thing that makes it so specific is the toys that the kids have are all specific to 1970. Mm-hmm. The and slot I, car? Milk. No, because I had a number of them. <laughs> there it is. 
but like the circle ones that you stick the authentic pegs in. vintage toys yep yeah <laughs> they had that telephone that like drags on the ground that they stopped making i think is a fisher price item i think oh yeah. yeah they stopped making that after like 2000 yeah my grandparents had one of those <laughs> from is when that my... old yeah i mean like oh i don't know if it's that <laughs> old but like it's like from when we were kids I mean, uh, I mean, maybe I it was. It got, <laughs> yeah. I think that it was one of the things like the popcorn vacuum that like it was a timeless toy that they could keep recreating with slightly different variations to be like, and it's the new and improved popcorn yeah. lawnmower. Uh, but like, I mean, as long as telephones have been around and have been a thing, uh, whenever they decided, hey, we could probably make this a toy is probably how long it's been around. So yeah. probably the f- 40s. Remember, there wasn't people didn't even have childhood until like the 50s there was like not a concept of childhood where you play with toys it was just like and then you work are you are your fingers nimble enough to pry out jammed gears um which i think also like the 1970s and the, the way that like these kids kind of are uh, removed from the reality of the uh, world around them, that they just kind of get to play games and enjoy their cousins and like have a, a nice life. Then, you know, that's the conflict of them realizing like things aren't going to be easy from now on. <laughs> like, yeah, mm-hmm. there's problems that now we're going to be affected by. Um, we don't get the nice car anymore. We might have to move. All these shelves are taken away. Like little differences that now make them grow up a little bit. Um, that but, car, though, is one of the best characters in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the one thing I do want to point out, and I think as we're talking about kind of like overall motifs uh, that exist in the movie, like Tierney said, there's a lot of things that are like, that on the second time around you realize are just mirror images of something else that's happened. And so if we want to go through a list of those, yes, I've got let's, a bunch. Let's make this a literary analysis of a movie. That's all I want That's what this, this movie discussion. allows you to do. This movie's so rich that there is, like, layer upon layer upon layer to deconstruct. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, but, I mean, the first... Sorry. Yeah, go for it. You, I just you're remembered, so... Go for it. I just remembered that moment at the training thing where no one can stand on one foot, but Cleo can oh, stand yeah. on one foot. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Oh, I love that. It's so sweet. Not and doesn't effortlessly, and doesn't even like brag or like. No look one cares. Like, oh shit! Well, and it's yeah. That's that sequence is so beautiful too because it's like when the guy is doing it, whatever his name is, his professor is that what he is? Yeah, um, yeah. The professor. When he's doing it, like it's set up like I'm going to do this crazy magic trick, and the camera's just still on him, and he just does that, and you're like, what the fuck? Are you serious? And then everybody starts laughing, and he's like, oh, you think this is funny? You try it, and then you see everybody failing miserably and then it cuts to her and she's just like nonchalantly just doing it perfectly just being wonderful and it's just like oh god bless yeah <laughs> oh, i loved it and no one celebrates her or anything yeah she just does it and and knows that she's able to do it and that's good enough yeah and you, the uh, all while she's drinking it your literary analysis sorry i interrupted about that no no that's i think that's a great one did everyone try to do it after watching this no but i think i might try it right now i was actually thinking about that okay let's do a play-by-play and see uh, you guys can keep talking well no i want to see i want the viewers to know whether you're able to right 
No, so it's like he's got finger guns. I don't know yeah, if that's necessary, yes. but then he like kind of crosses his fingers. Oh, 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 oh she's I'm wobbling. <laughs> she's, oh, she's, she's twisting. She's turning. Okay, let's see how this goes. Okay. Uh, Much better. Pretty good. Oh, she's doing better. Yeah, she's leaning. I think. And I can you, make about five seconds. Closed, huh? If you have your eyes closed when you go into it, it's really hard. But if you close your eyes when you're already doing it, not, All right, so, let me try not again. so difficult. Well, it's actually easier. Yeah. <laughs> Look at you. You're doing great. I can do it, guys. <laughs> I just kept waiting Tease for her to like, literally fall over. <laughs> just, like, <laughs> just blood everywhere. <laughs> no, I failed. Uh, um, all right, so here's some of the mirror images uh yes 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 and yes. so this is this is different from juxtaposition which i think juxtaposition is its own thing uh another example of that is them all eating ice cream while there's a wedding happening in the background mm. and they're like mm -hmm. very they're all very sad and meanwhile this wedding is like hooray <laughs> well, they, right behind them the kids just found out that their parents marriage is literally over <laughs> and so yeah. they're like uh. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, and that I think uh, I wrote down frivolity is uh, preceded or precedes tragedy. Uh, and so, like, Christmas party is an example of that with the fire right after. Uh, the department store crib shopping, followed mm. by her losing the baby. Um, the, I mean, even the movie being this nice thing. The frog in the ocean her. and then the almost drowning. Yep. Yeah, it's all it should be peaceful and then something takes a turn mm -hmm. um and it never yeah. feels like it's the same thing over and over again but it feels like all these things that should be light and effortless end up feeling heavy and weighted and uh leaves bad feelings um and so like those are examples of like that kind of uh juxtaposition but the mirror images the first one is the precise park job yeah. that the dad does of just like nope the mirror touched i'm gonna back up i'm gonna realign and then i'm gonna slowly move through so that there's a centimeter of, of space between the ends of the car and the walls and you're like wow okay he pulled it off followed only scenes later by uh what is the mom's name sophia. miss uh, miss sophia sophia um, yeah. or miss sophie yeah her just driving between two trucks that clearly she's not going to fit between and just like and still going. like what are you doing yeah they're like, come, like look out like what what was why would you do this but like that difference of like uh one person can like park and not scratch at all and then she can't two th uh, two things uh yeah. one the way that shot is framed for the most part, it's like, oh yeah, this actually does look like a gigantic pain in the ass to like try and thread that needle perfectly. But then mm -hmm. when the shot comes back around to like further down the driveway and you're just like watching it, it's like, it, it doesn't seem that hard. Like, I feel like I could probably do this. <laughs> Maybe not perfectly, but I feel like I wouldn't have to like fuck up as many times as he did. Uh, and then the other thing that's really funny is like, uh, you see him go to so much hassle to make sure that nothing happens to this car. Like mm -hmm. he's going so slow that the mirror just touches the wall and he's like, Nope, 
got to start over and try again. Like, there's nothing that happens to this car. And then Sophia is just like, nah, fuck it. I'm going to go. Holds up traffic. Everybody's mad at her. It's just a hilarious scene. And then when she finally gets to the hospital, she pulls in and you can just see the side of the car with just all of the scratches. And it's so fucking funny. (laughs) I think the way that the dad is characterized, too, is so good. Because even in what you're saying, like... He cares for that car so much, but, like, doesn't care that his family remains unscratched by willing to just, like, not tell them the truth. And that's where I kind of figured if that's his car and that's the way that uh, he cares about it, I took her driving between the two trucks is I might get a scratch but like I don't really care because fuck him <laughs> and then she just goes right in and it's like okay this was worse than I thought yeah and her look of like uh, I don't know what uh, <laughs> and then when she later Sorry. pulls it in and just smashes it repeatedly just... and it's just like whatever yeah. <laughs> we are all alone um, yeah. uh, so another example of that uh, which I think actually might be bigger than just a kind of uh actually no this is a conflicting image uh so i'll talk about that later but uh yeah uh the monsters did you notice there's two monsters in this movie where's the second monster there's the one at christmas first first monsters at christmas it's this dude dressed as a big fucking right woolly creature and then later when cleo goes to find fermin's cousin to find out where fermin is there's a little boy in a bucket helmet oh, yeah. who's like running around, um, but is like another mirror image of like this wealthy ass party just has <clears throat> this guy dressed as a monster to like party with them and like be part of the celebration. And then meanwhile, in these like outskirt slums, this little boy is also dressed up in this like costume and like running around to be this kind of like entertainment um S- I took him... I thought he was a spaceman. Well, I mean, whatever he was. But the because fact of, like, somebody There's also helmets. the real spaceman costume when they're, like, in the woods. The one kid wearing a spaceman oh, yeah. costume. Oh, sure. And then I figured the that one was just, like, his version of a spaceman costume. Yeah. yeah that, might be, that might be more apt. Uh, but that little boy in the bucket helmet, I didn't notice the first time. Yeah. Um, and then, what's the other one that I had? Uh, <laughs> ah, did I have other ones? Maybe I don't. Um, <laughs> I thought I had other ones. We'll pa- We'll move. We'll move on. Um, but the uh, yeah, I don't know what I'm talking. I about. didn't realize the first time that the people training. Uh, I didn't realize one of their shirts said West Point. Yeah. Um, mm which I noticed this time. And then I actually looked it up afterwards because I was like, everything from what I gather from interviews is supposed to be true, that I was like, mm-hmm, something mm-hmm. must have happened. And it was the, I believe they're called the... Oh, hell. Yeah, I looked Alcones, it up too. I yeah. Um, or Alcazones. One of the two. Or none of the two. What do I know? Yeah. Alcones sounds right. Alcanazo. El Alcanazo. And that they were trained by uh, the CIA because we are garbage. Yep. Yeah. Obviously. Yeah. Obviously. Coups are dope when they happen in other parts of the world. 
less dope when they happen here. Although a current ruling party in this country might might argue that coups are dope here. So coups <laughs> are dope all over because it's all about uh, tricking everyone into doing something against their own best interest. Um, uh, I have a lot of most of my notes are just things that I found to be very fun uh, shots or imagery. It is. Uh, one of the ones that I thought was just very uh, funny was at the Christmas party when Cleo is led by Benita to the other party where she's like, you're going to come with me and we're going to have our own party. And they like descend that staircase and there's just two ducks going at it. Just <laughs> sex. Like duck sex. I didn't notice that. One of them looks like it's dead because it's such it's so... <laughs> Like, it's just given up. And the other duck keeps, like, pecking at its head in the way that, like, duck sex is aggressive and awful. But it's, like, right at the foot of the stairs, right as they turn the corner, there's just two two ducks doing it hard. And I thought that was very funny. What the fuck? I noticed it's the ones, like, wild. running down the stairs. I didn't notice them no, yeah. doing it. The other, ones are, the other ones are having sex, so... Don't ducks you know. lay eggs? Yeah, but they but they have sex with corkscrew penises. Oh yeah, and corkscrew uh, cervixes, so that when cervixes, or I don't know, <laughs> like the inside, the inside is oh shaped like a corkscrew, so that the pe- the duck penis can like spiral into it. Oh my god, it's awful, Do you mean Matt. Like the vagina. Yeah, he does mean the vagina. Uh, I, so but I not just, the opening. The vagina is not the opening. It's oh the my god, canal. man. <laughs> okay. So Probably the opening is the labia. <laughs> okay, so okay. Not that I didn't trust Matt, but I just had to see it for myself. So on my second monitor, I just pulled up Roma on Netflix and. Yeah, those two ducks are fucking like just boning really, down. Really, really going for it. Yeah. Uh, for Rip those of you out. listening at home, timestamp is like right about uh, fifty nine minutes and thirty seconds. So about about <laughs> an hour into the movie, you, if you're if you're interested in some some duck sex, there, yeah. there you go. And I I almost caught it too late, and I was like, yeah, those two ducks having sex, and then I cut away, and I was like, whoa. <laughs> Sorry for intruding. <laughs> what do you guys think the like symbolism of the broken glasses? Oh, I hate that scene. Oh god, it just is the worst. I I think maybe it's like I don't know. I feel like there's a lot about how polite and how easygoing she has to be. Mm-hmm. And in that scene, she keeps saying, like, no, I'm pregnant. No, I'm not going to drink for the baby. No, please, I don't want to do it. And she just keeps getting pushed and pushed and pushed until she's finally like, okay, fine. Like, that orange juice liquor, fine, whatever. And then she didn't even want to do it. And now that she's going to sip, she gets bumped into. And it just looks like it hurts so much. And the look on her face is just so heartbreaking of, like, the embarrassment of, like, and it's, I mean, that, I feel like that is such a relatable moment that all of us have felt of being so embarrassed and also, like, shocked and kind of, like, uh, you have to catch up with, like, what just happened. And it, yeah, that scene is just heartbreaking. 
and I and maybe that is like instead of a celebration, it's a broken glass. Um, so maybe it is kind of foreshadowing in the same way. And this is the other juxtaposition that I was going to bring up: the earthquake in the hospital that drops a piece of ceiling on the incubator or like the yeah. uh, protective box over the newborn. And the way that she just kind of acknowledges, like, if that box wasn't there, that baby would be dead. And, like, that ceiling would have fallen on that baby. And I think that, like, inherent... I think it's it all kind of, some, like, relates to this, like, danger and beauty kind of being coupled together. Of, like, this little, very fragile baby is only protected by a thin layer of plastic because this earthquake, which is just random and nothing... Uh, controls it besides the earth could have killed it the fact that it's like a premature baby too like that's they took all like the i was gonna say the regular newborns (laughs) 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 the ones that might have come fully to term um Mm -hmm. and don't need to be in the i forget the name of the bot a nicu is that the word um i think nicu is the name for like that wing in the hospital i don't think that that's the name of the thing can we also just talk about how many female doctors there were and how fantastic that was? I wrote a note. I wrote a note that just said Bechtel Hospital because literally all you need to do to pass the Bechtel test is have a woman doctor talk to women that are coming to see her and they don't need to talk about men. They can all have names. It's that easy. Like, see how this scene can exist and it's not this impossible thing that's like oh how could we possibly make everyone pleased and it's like just have characters that are women (laughs) that interact with each other I love when the dad comes uh, to like comfort her and you're like oh maybe he is a kind man when he's like stroking her arm or her shoulder in the elevator and then when he's like I'd come in but they won't let me in and the doctor's just like you're welcome to come in if you can he's like I have an appointment (laughs) <laughs> yeah which also like don't move uh doctor where she was just like okay well you're a bullshitter and i know that you're a bullshitter so like i don't even know what you're doing here yeah uh that was a great moment i remember just being like damn what an asshole also when you see him and the mistress run past yeah i think it's tonio yeah. like that is another thing where like if you're not looking you could easily miss that yeah mm-hmm and that moment of recognition between her and either Tony or Paco, I don't remember who sees the dad, but that they both saw him mm-hmm. and she kind of looks at him like, okay, I know what we saw, but like, and all she says is like, your mom is worried or like your grandmother's worried. Let's catch up. But that like shared moment of like, yeah, that was your dad. That's well, his friend that's is like, yeah, your dad just ran by. Yeah, oh, he's like, yeah. no, it didn't. No, it didn't. Yeah. My dad's yeah. in, in Canada. <laughs> oh, heartbreaking. That... So many heartbreaking moments in this movie. <laughs> Truly. <laughs> when uh, Sophia is telling the kids, she's like, well, and your dad never went away. Well, he did, but only for a week. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> oof. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. Um... I just, oh, oh, I also love, uh, I feel like a lot happens at that Christmas party, even though it seems like it's all fun and games. Uh, but even the relationship between uh, Cleo and Benita, of when they're, like, running and, like, 
like chasing each other or like racing to the room and then she's like okay this is your room like this is where you can put that stuff and then uh, all the dog heads and she's like yeah these are all the dogs that were on the property and then uh, what's the one thing she says that's like very sad at the very end of it and I can't remember now but like she dropped some bombshell that's not funny but I had been laughing until then and I think she says something like about somebody dying or I can't I think it's one of the dogs isn't it maybe or like yeah they had to put it down or something like that but yeah, that scene I thought was like another beautiful moment of just like, oh, this is a relationship that these two share. That like, because she comes along for all these vacations, she gets to see Benita. And there's like a relationship between them of like, oh, it's been so long. And like, oh, I, got, I can't believe you're pregnant. Separate mm-hmm. from this family that's like, oh, these are the English speaking cousins. Like, uh, oh, they're so like glamorous. I don't know. Like... Uh, will we have fun? Like, all their other concerns are totally separate from, like, uh, what Cleo and Benita share, which I thought was beautiful. Uh, sorry. I'm sure everything you said was very sweet, Matt, but I was... <laughs> I still have it pulled God, up. you're fucking rude! <clears throat> I still have it pulled up on the uh, on my other monitor, so here here's what you're looking for. Do you remember Canella? Yes, where is she? Um... She's right there. She died last summer. They say she ate a poison, poisoned rat. Oh, shoot. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. But I'm sure it was the villagers angry with Don Jose over the land. Yep. <laughs> so they're just like, no, somebody just murdered this dog. <laughs> it's like, oh, fuck. Yeah. And then and also like, that's like an edge to the fire, too. Because you're like, yeah. is mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. deliberate? Like, yeah. did someone set fire to his land? Or... Yeah. Is it a natural fire? I will and say... Then that's how, I just remember that was also preceded by the mom uh, basically being, like, assaulted. Yeah. And, like, nothing is spoken about that, and it's, like, super tense, and then a fire happens. Yeah. Also, like, that shot of the smoke slowly mm. building through the trees yeah. is unlike any shot in any movie. Like, it's so dark... And you really, like, I remember watching it in theaters and being like, okay, so there's little embers. What's going on? And, like, trying to, like, adjust my eyes to the darkness. And then realizing, like, is that smoke? And then having it launch into, like, fire, fire, there's fire. But, like, there's a slight graying of the black of night is so beautiful and so unique. Mm Mm-hmm. I've stared That's at a, a lot of fires in my life. <laughs> I, I caught the embers right away. Danny's like, I know what's what's up here. <laughs> I've, I've been camping enough times. Uh, also, all the dog heads. Uh, not that my mom had any dog heads, <laughs> but my mom grew up with dogs. Like, there was always dogs, and when one would die, they'd get a new dog. Um, and so I grew up hearing about all these dogs, and we never had dogs growing up. Like I, just, but my mom did, and that was like part of her childhood and part of her, like when we would visit um, my grandparents, they had two dogs, and it was like they were the newest of this line of dogs that I'd always heard about, um, and like the that was just like very reminiscent of like my memories of my mom of being like oh these like family dogs that were just like. Yeah, we get all these dogs, and, like, one of them dies, and we get a new dog. (laughs) 
and like we just kind of we love them they die we get a new one uh and i also like it also reminded me that like i miss being surrounded by spanish in the house because like Mm -hmm. my mom and my dad would speak spanish to each other as a code so that val and i wouldn't understand what they were saying uh but that only lasted until yeah (laughs) and it was like and it was always like when we could tell they would code switch talking about something that only they were supposed to be knowing and we're like (laughs) and also just like my mom would talk to her mom and her siblings in spanish and so i would hear their phone conversations and just like hear spanish all the time and then you know my brother started taking spanish in high school so then it was not as as sound of a code anymore and my dad got out of practice and so like he lost it um and the phone calls were in english so like all these little things that like shifted my household not to be surrounded by spanish and so just like hearing especially like when cleo tells uh miss sophie that she's pregnant and like like words that they use to comfort each other i was like oh this sounds so familiar this sounds like the spanish words that i recognize my like family saying to each other speaking spanish but that's what this movie died (laughs) (laughs) but i think that's what this movie does so well is it captures what families feel like Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and the conversations that you have and the arguments that you get into and the moments of outburst that you regret uh like when uh i think it's either tony or paco picks up the phone i think it's paco and then Mm. the mom comes out and is like were you spying on me and then slaps him and then they both start crying and crumple to the ground and then she gets mad at cleo and is like why are you just standing there don't you have anything to do and you're like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, you're going to regret that. She's not, she's like here to help. Mm-hmm. And all those moments are so real and authentic and like complicated and understandable. Like you're like, yeah, that is how you react when you feel scared or hurt or <clears throat> nervous or uh, uh, humiliated. Yeah. God, what a movie. It's so good. <laughs> um, what are some of the other things that I have? Oh, just, you know, I think maybe the last point about that Christmas party, it really does look fun. Even just shooting Mm. guns at nothing, (laughs) I was like, God, I want to do that. I'm just like, yep, you just pull the hammer back and just shoot into the nothingness. I think they're shooting bottles. They're just mostly missing. Yeah, I was going to say. Can do it. And they're like, oh, got to watch out for your wife. (laughs) Blam, 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 blam. So but it satisfying. is fun how they're all just standing there. Yeah. yeah. And like that spinning is a... records later and drinking and like running around. I was like, I miss parties. I <laughs> yeah. miss parties. God. That is a good shot when they're all just like lined up against uh, that like and the children are running pond around. or whatever. The kids are running and they're all just like boom, boom. <laughs> like, what yeah. And like the one guy steps into the frame and is like in the foreground. Yeah. There's so many moments like that, too, where just, like, the shot is perfect, and the the layering as the shot continues is also perfect. Do you guys yeah. know if this was filmed on film or digital? I think maybe digital. Because it has a depth of field that most digital doesn't have. But it has a cleanness that, like... Yeah. I feel but like Phantom IMAX Dread in 72. But it was 70 millimeter. Clean. 70 millimeter, yeah. Um, Rome was 70 millimeter? Yeah. Yeah, that's really? what I saw it at. Yeah, yeah she saw it in they 70 millimeter. Shot, they shot the movie in 70 millimeter? 
Yeah. Wow. Because you can't get that level of depth of field, I feel like, with a digital camera. Everything should be shot in 70 millimeter. Yeah. Yeah. Even the old guard on Netflix. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Maybe it'd be good then. Okay. okay. Yeah. <laughs> God, this let's, movie's gorgeous, but it's crazy. so bad. <laughs> uh, um, what are some other things that... I think we've gone through all of my, my notes, but I didn't note a lot because I was just like, oh, I want more of this. It was hard to note and uh, keep reading and, like, appreciate the picture. So I, like, jotted down one word. Uh, but I'll run through and see if there's talking points. Uh, we already okay. talked about that training uh, in the desert. Um, but even, like, how scary that is. It's just, like, so militant. And you're like, oh, what are they training for? <laughs> what is what is this going to lead to? And then seeing what it ends up leading to is so scary. Um, but also, I met, I already mentioned the milk and slot car shot, which, like, there's a lot... The surprising thing that I'll say, second time around watching this movie, I remembered most of it. Like, almost all of it. In a way that a lot of other movies that I've seen multiple times, <laughs> I watch certain scenes and I'm like, oh, I guess I never really, like watched that scene it like happens and i like it was like yeah yeah yeah, okay but in this movie like so many shots just stood the test of time and are like permanently stamped in my memory uh and that milk and slot car one i don't know why but it's so crisp and so beautiful of just seeing the car zip past the camera and then away and then zip back with this, like, glass of whole milk just sitting there. And a fun thing about that is that uh, Pepe keeps trying to trap the cars. Yeah. But he doesn't actually do it. He's just trying to mess with his brothers. <laughs> oh, and then they get into that giant fight, and uh, the grandmother yeah. is mostly worthless. <laughs> she's, just, she's just... No, don't! Your, your but, brothers, don't do it! It's like, That's okay. another moment of like family things where it's oh, like that 100%. happens a hundred percent yeah yeah including picking up a baseball throwing it mm-hmm. having it go through a window and cracking the car window outside in the flash of a moment of just like one very bad choice mm-hmm. and now there's like a broken window a splintered window and he could have hit his brother and both of them are like uh oh Oh fuck! We took that too far. That was too far. Yeah. We, we went too far. Uh, but I, yeah, I wrote down breaking the window because that was such a, a true moment too. Um, I uh, I think we should take a little bit of time to talk about Cleo and mm-hmm. her specific journey of becoming pregnant, worrying that she might get fired, mm-hmm. uh, which is like its own dynamic of like. Uh, Miss Sophie being like, no, no, why would we fire you? Like, we'll take you to the hospital. We'll, like, help you out with this. Um, but that worry. And then for her to, like, try again to try to get Fermin to yeah. be in this baby's life. And he's such a fucking asshole and threatens to kill her. Yeah. And beat the baby to death. And she just has to be like, okay, I guess you're not going to be part of this then. Um, to the point where then, when he pulls the gun on her, it's like he shot her. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like that's the moment where the baby dies. And mm-hmm. then she goes into labor because the baby is dead. Yeah. And the 
you know, I know there's probably medical procedures that I don't understand, but the pushiness of that doctor who's like, okay, now I'm going to have to take the baby away. Okay, yeah. you got to give me the baby now. I'm like, yeah. give her a fuck. In the words of Sean, Sean Bond from Lord of the Rings, <laughs> Fellowship of the Ring, give her a moment for pity's sake. Just like, <clears throat> cool off. She's like, the baby's going to be just as ready to prep for whatever you have to do in five minutes. Do you think, now, but... here's, here's my question, and I yeah. don't know, like I, I'm ignorant enough of Mexico's history to know, but do you think some of that is the fact that she is indigenous? The fact Maybe. that they're like, you don't get like as much time with your baby because we have to just move you along and it's a little bit less like personal? I think it's very possible. It could be. They're mm-hmm. like more callous because of that. I think... The, the, like, medical reason that I considered was, like, the attachment that happens at that oh, beginning of, like, the longer true, yeah. we let yeah. you hold on to this baby, the more you're not going to want to let her go. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, for your own mental sake, we gotta, like, we gotta move on so that you're not just holding uh, your dead child in your arms. But it was j- it's just the most brutal scene. Yeah. It's so and tense. It's the, yeah, and it's the worst possible outcome for that like for all the build-up uh of like oh this like okay we gotta like take you for a crib and like you don't drink because you don't want to like hurt the baby like all those things for it to just be like she was born dead and we gotta take her away now um and then Uh. man oh man (laughs) Man, oh man! I like, Can I just? I think I like pause yeah. just real quick because I know where you're gonna go, yes. and I have a joke that I want to get in before before you go to where you're Do gonna it. go. <laughs> yeah. uh, when Tierney was like, "Here's my question," what I wanted her to say was, "Do we think it's seen Bean from Lord of the Rings?" <laughs> <laughs> I, as I've said many a time. Both. It's gotta be Sean Bond or Scene Bean. Bean. (laughs) I've seen Bean. (laughs) I have seen Bean. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Other real quick sidebar, only because I just looked it up. Um, I don't speak Spanish, uh, but I think I understand enough in the credits here to understand that the film was shot entirely in 65 millimeter. 65. Cool. Which, like. Yeah, 70 millimeters always shot, and like the film itself is 65, and then it's just projected sure. in 70. But anyway, cool, gorgeous movie, yeah. Uh, but so after she loses the baby, the change in demeanor like, one, mm. she deserved the Academy Award nomination she got. I can't remember the other people in that year, we'll get there, that a little. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but the change in demeanor from the person we know Cleo is, who's just always, you know willing to go along with whatever is easiest uh you know very polite very respectful always kind of like uncentering herself and really like just this kind of uh person who just absorbs to watch how she's not smiling how she's not joyful how she's just drained and sad and empty and when they're like yeah we're gonna go to the beach and you should come along and her like small shake of like no i can't like, please don't make me do this. Is so gut wrenching uh, to see how much has been stripped away from her joy and from her like 
easygoing demeanor that when they're at the beach and she saves the kids who she doesn't know how to swim and she decides to go into the water every single time she walks into the water every single time that scene is so fucking tense and i remember the first time i saw this with when we saw it matt i was just like are they really going to kill one of these fucking kids? <laughs> like, yeah. cause like they, I mean, the, the baby died. Yeah. It like very clearly could have happened. And I was like, Oh my God. <laughs> like, and, and so that whole sequence weight. is just like, Oh yeah. The filming too yeah. of it as they go out across the water. I don't know how they filmed that. Is it just yeah. the biggest crane that's ever existed? Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> cause you can't dolly on water. Of- yeah, I have no yeah. idea. Good point. And, yeah, for her to, in two scenes prior, to say, like, I don't know how to swim, I'm not going to go swimming. And then for her to keep marching in, you're like, oh, my God, oh, my oh. God. And it's so tense because the emotional weight is a baby has died. And that's what's on the top of her mind is that she can't let another two people, possibly, another two children die that are in her life. And the waves just crashing against her as she keeps calling out their names and then pulls them ashore. And the way that everyone kind of has to catch up with what happened is, like, exactly how it would happen. Like, they wouldn't all be, like, looking and gawking. It would be like, they weren't paying attention and this is what happened. And then, for the most brutal line of the movie to be, I didn't want her. I didn't want her. Poor poor little thing. Oh. And for all of them just to be surrounding her and her them to say, like, we love you, Cleo. And her just to keep saying, like, I didn't want her. Poor thing. Poor little thing. Just, I'm already, like, tearing up. Just, like, mm-hmm. the words poor little thing are so just gut-wrenching and beautiful and sad that, like, it, she really does feel like, uh, like... I didn't even get to know her. Like, just this little person that I never got to graze. Just delivered with the most honesty. And for that to be what she says as they're all like, you saved him. Thank you so much. Like, for her to feel so vulnerable and open that that's what she says. Uh, Just a, a, a incredible finale moment to a movie that's already so good up until that point. Um, um, God, you, that line. You, uh, like when we watched Alphaville, we talked about how you don't really like older movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, part of which, part of the reason why um, you said is because like, or I don't know if you said it on the pod or if we've just talked about it um, in person before, but you like, you feel like the the iconic lines from those classic movies like never fully live up to like by the time you get to see them they already have kind of like had this life and they never really fully live up to that in the context on a similar vein i think it's like a a bold choice to make that shot of all of them huddled on the beach like the shot of this movie like that was in all of the promotional mm-hmm. materials that was the poster of this movie um, it's just like a really bold choice to make like the emotional climax of this movie be the way that you're going to advertise this movie. Yeah. And also the fact that when you're watching this movie for the first time, that moment still pays off as strongly as it does. is just like an incredible testament 
to everything that Quaron was able to pull off in this movie. Um, just like a complete masterstroke by all parties involved. That scene is brutal. We all knew it was coming because that's the only thing we'd seen in the marketing. Not the only, but like one of the major things we'd seen in the marketing. And yet it still was able to just like totally knock the wind out of us. Just unbelievable. (laughs) And it's such a surprising moment too, because you just assume that she's so sad because she lost the baby, which she is, but there's an additional layer of guilt that like Mm -hmm. this person who just absorbs and absorbs and absorbs and absorbs and takes all the knocks that come her way. She gets hit and the glass and the glass shoves into her face and shatters the father of the baby's out of the picture. She's not part of the She's family. She's yelled at by Mrs. Sophia. Yeah, just all these small indignities that she just keeps absorbing, and for that to come out as her still feeling guilty that she didn't want the baby enough, and that lingering like guilt is it can't be it can't be understood from that picture. And so there's such a power in that moment yeah. that you understand better when you see the movie. And I think uh, it actually shares that in common with Punch Drunk Love, because that movie has kind of the culmination uh, event on the cover. And so you're kind of like, okay, it's the two of them, and they're like backlit in this kind of dark hallway. But when you see it in the movie and they like reunite in Hawaii, you're like, yay, this is so cool. Um, And so, yeah, both of them, I think, really show their cards and then say like, but you're going to have to watch the movie to understand why this is what we chose. but yeah, what a what a fucking devastating finale, and then for it to kind of just return to what it always is of like she gets to spend time with the family, but she still has to like do chores and like doesn't get to really enjoy time with them. The bookshelves are gone, but they're just gonna play and live their life in that house just like it. They gotta keep moving. Yeah, uh, oh, Roma. <laughs> Should we go on to the categories? I think so. Um, so tattoo ideas. I mean, just the whole movie. Just <laughs> gonna say, uh, my sister sent me. This was a couple weeks ago. Uh, somebody had gotten a tattoo that she saw when she was scrolling on Instagram, and it was uh, like the like the serious black wanted poster from the mm. Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. And she was like, oh, this is a kind of a fun tattoo idea. And I was like, yeah, I'm probably going to wait until we figure out the technology to get uh, gifts tattooed before I, like, get mine. Which, like, obviously was just a funny joke. But to your point, Tierney, I'm going to wait until we get the technology to get full movies tattooed on our bodies <laughs> before, before I get a Roma tattoo. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. My, I mean, my suggestion would be... The, the, duck, mean, the, the two ducks fucking. <laughs> yeah. Either the two ducks fucking or for mean, uh, fully frontal naked, swinging around a shower curtain rod. Here's my question. Is yeah. that comfortable for a man to do? You the mean like for the dangly like bits to whip bouncing? around? Yeah. Because I mean, it's yeah. not comfortable for me to like jump rope without a sports bra on. <laughs> I mean, yeah, most of the time they're not swinging as wildly, but I think <laughs> they're soft enough that your legs aren't the hardest surface for them to slam against over and over again. 
It's not like if the rod were to hit it, that would be a different story. It's not. Mm, it's not uncomfortable. It's not comfortable either, but it's not uncomfortable. Yeah. Mostly mm. feels like nothing. That is a really bizarre scene, though. <laughs> like, <laughs> but but really one of the most important scenes of the movie, in my opinion, <laughs> personally. I remember that was one of the things I. Uh, Matt, I'm gonna put you on blast a little bit here, but that was oh, one yeah. of the first things I said to Matt when we were walking out of the theater. Because Matt's thing is like, obviously, he always wants to have like the full frontal nudity in a, in a film. Obviously, as obviously from a from a male, uh, you should probably right, yeah, yeah, right. right. <laughs> yeah, he wants dude full frontal nudity. <laughs> I want it very respectful. If it's a woman, I want it to make sense to the story. It does not have to be the same <laughs> for male full frontal nudity. It can be nudity. totally objective. <laughs> Dewey Cox has a very <laughs> empty joke. That was fine. It's really, it's more quantity than quality. <laughs> but quality is what you're going to speak about. Well, and then the other thing is like, not only does he just want it, but he wants there to be movement. Like he doesn't just want like a still dick on the screen. He wants to see oh, like so this, this dick in action. And so that really was one did. of the first things I said to Matt when we walked out of the theater. I was like, it's like, well, you got your dick movement. <laughs> yeah. Just a lot of dynamics to it. I'm just looking for some dynamic frontal nudity another movie that's uh that's a very big qualifier aaron taylor johnson and a million little pieces have not seen the movie but you've seen that very good frontal nudity lots of lots of movement multiple times sometimes it just looks like gumby just flying in the air and you're like wow the physics of it Uh, so we know what matt's gonna get tattooed yeah for mean full swing dangle uh yeah Uh, Uh, but also maybe just uh a powerful one would be a baby in an incubator with uh, a bunch of debris on top of it people be like what the fuck is that tattoo (laughs) oh it's this really light-hearted moment of this movie (laughs) it's supposed to represent how like the only thing between us and total destruction is a thin layer of plastic Have you seen the movie movie Roma? Yeah, just like a bunch of dog shit. I will say, like, I wish that the house was a little bit more noteworthy. It's so hidden. I mean, I like the house. I'm just saying, like, in terms of, like, a tattoo. Because, like, with Royal Tenenbaums, we talked about, like, 111 Archer Avenue related things. So, like, the gate, maybe. But just the way that the house just kind of, like, blends in as part of the full neighborhood. Um,. Is, which is not a bad thing for the movie. I think it works really well for the movie, and I really like the production design of that house and yeah. that location, just specifically in terms of, like, getting a tattoo. That wouldn't yeah. really work, but... You could get the professor doing the one-leg stand. Oh, yeah. yeah. Or get uh, Cleo doing the one-leg stand. More, More importantly. There More we go. Importantly. Yeah. Um, I think we all would watch this on an airplane. Fuck Yeah. yeah. And I think we all would spend time on this film set. (laughs) Very much so. (laughs) It really made me go like, I think I want to visit Mexico City in the 70s. Like, this seems so cool. (laughs) Like, look at all these huge statues and, like, cool buildings. Yeah. Um, Just just a beautiful, beautiful recreation of that city. So for Uh, Oscars, I'm going to go ahead and say uh, watching this. Sweet. Uh, yeah, 
production design if it wasn't. So that's, I, know, I, wanna... I knew it was actress. I knew his picture. I knew his foreign language. I knew his director. I'm pretty sure it's cinematographer. But is production design one of them? Because if not, fuck that. So uh, it was nominated for 10 films or 10 awards. Um, let's see. Production design. Where are you? Uh, so it was nominated for production design. It did not win for production design. Who won? Black Panther. Okay, that was a good one too. Which I'm I'm okay with. That was a fucking stacked category, by the way. Black Panther, The Favorite, First Man, Roma, and Mary Poppins Returns. Like, damn. <laughs> I mean, like 2018. I know you said it was a bad year for movies, Colin, but I venture to say I that 2018. Yeah, I think 2018 and 2017 were both excellent years. For no, me. I said 2018 was a good year. 2017, I wasn't that jazzed about, but 2018, I had a lot of movies that I really, really, really liked. Whatever. I think I'm the one who said 2018 was bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Oops. <clears throat> So, yeah, what I mean, like, categories was it nominated for? the biggest travesty, obviously, is Best, is Picture. Best Picture, which we can spend Ooh. a little bit more time talking about shortly. But the who, beat, the who beat Cleo for Best Actress? So here are the things that it was nominated for. It was nominated for Best Picture. It was nominated for Best Director, which Quaron won. Yeah. Um, okay. It was nominated. It's also, like, yeah. why win Best Director if you didn't direct the best movie? You directed the best movie if you're the best director. Like, what the fuck are we doing here? <laughs> God damn, Green Book. I hate Green Book so much, and I haven't even. I was just gonna say, one, you haven't even it's the seen only that. nominee that I didn't see from that but year, and I refuse no to see. No way, it is better than Roma. No, no, way. no competition. No way in a million years um, is any right. part of it better. I mean, we can keep going on Best Picture if we want. We're there, or we can come back to it. I just hate Green Book. The, I just think here's the thing. The here's the thing. There's not much more to choice. say other than fuck here's Green the thing. Book. Yeah, forever. I was reading something the other day, and I I meant to bookmark it so I could bring it up and like actually quote it, but I totally forgot to do it. But it was something along the lines of like because something had the award attached to it, it gets like a certain level of hatred. Um, and they weren't specifically talking about, like, the thing that I read wasn't specifically talking about Green Book. But <laughs> I did, because I just watched Roma and I knew we were going to be talking about it, I did think about, like, Green Book is a perfectly fine movie. Like, it's not a bad movie. It's not, like, a great movie, but it's not a bad movie. It is definitely not deserving of, like, the intense hatred that it got. <laughs> The Academy is deserving of the intense hatred because what the well, fuck are they doing? But like, Green Book is not that bad of a movie. Yes, should it, it should not even have been in the conversation for Best Picture of the Year. That's fine. I will not argue that. Like that, it's not that good of a movie. But it's also not like the worst thing that's ever happened to cinema. Maybe, but I think <laughs> I think you also have to campaign for Oscars, and so like. They put a lot of money into making Green Book the winner instead of being like, you know what, the, Roma's actually the better movie. To the Let's point maybe that, pull our horses back. To the point that I don't know if Roma ever would have won. Because of Netflix. Because of Netflix. Because they hate Netflix. Because of Netflix. 
<clears throat> Agreed. Yeah, I think that's also a thing that's like, oh my god, this isn't a Netflix movie. Have you seen The Old Guard? <laughs> this is an actual good movie. For the record, The Old Guard is also not nearly as bad as Matt is making it out to be. It's not good. It, it's fine. It's fine. It's fun. It's a C, It seems like a CBS Films movie, is what I'll say. Uh, <laughs> I told you, CW. <laughs> <laughs> CW, okay, one wait. step below CBS. <laughs> but anyway... Uh, Okay, yeah, so the real travesty is that it did not win Best Picture. Uh, it yes. did win for Best Director for uh, Quaron. Good. Olivia Coleman won Best Actress for The Favorite over Yelitsi oh, right. which I am okay with. Uh, Regina King for Beale Street won over Marina de Tavira, which I'm also okay with. Yeah. <laughs> I was just remembering that Olivia Coleman line where she goes, Look at me, look at me. Look at me. How dare you? Look away. <laughs> I think my favorite line delivery in that entire movie is when she just is like, Badger. She just like very quietly says Badger. <laughs> it's so funny. Badger. It's so weird. And it makes me laugh every single time. God bless the favorite. What was the um, last thing you said, though? Because I was thinking about that Olivia Coleman line. Oh, uh, Regina King won Best mm. Supporting Actress for Beale Street which mm. I mm-hmm. am very okay also. with that. Who from Roma was oh. nominated for Best Supporting Actress? Uh, the mother, Marina de Tavera. Uh, got it. Here's, here's what I'll say about the performances of this movie, and it's very quick. Because it's such an authentic, real world, and because we're getting such uh, a full picture of the dynamics of everything, it's not about individual performances so much as like how they mm-hmm. all are authentic within the world. And so I don't think they were... Obviously, they're not bad performances, but I do think other movies... Uh, and this happens with male actors often, mm-hmm. where fucking Daniel Day-Lewis is Lincoln, and they give him the award, even though it's like, was that... I mean, did is this the best performance? But because it's so central, and that's the focus of everything, then it's like, well, he had more time to really have those acting moments. Mm-hmm. And I don't think Roma really gives a ton of acting moments to any one person at all. Um, but I, I do think the favorite hands him out like candy. I think that you're absolutely right. And I think that, like, for the acting performances for this movie, simply being nominated was the award. Yeah. And I yeah. think that that's especially true for the... I think it's true for the reasons that you're saying, but I think it's especially true for the reasons of this is a foreign language film that Netflix put out that's, like, got a lot of things that are going against it in terms of, like, traditional Academy ideology. And so, like, the fact that what you're saying about just the fact that, the like, these women are really good, but it's not the point of the movie is how good they are, and the fact that it's uh, basically unknowns to Americans, um, like, the fact that, like, they won, or, like, you know, again, won just by being nominated. Um sorry guys (laughs) best original screenplay Roma lost to Green Book (laughs) it's truly outrageous I'm so mad right now can we just move on to the next category yeah let's just go sorry I just have to tell you the other nominees the favorite first reformed and vice oh my god oh my god Green Book was by far the worst of those five and it's not even it remotely even close. It shouldn't and have been nominated. Because it. no. it's 
it's not original either. It's just what is the template for white person learns to not be racist? Yeah. Movie? Yeah. Honestly, uh, fuck Green Book. I wish it was wiped off the Academy's <laughs> history. In every category it was nominated for. Except for Mahershala. He can keep his. Yeah. Mahershala is, I mean, God bless you. I would yeah. probably would have given it to Sam Elliott for Star is Born, but, you know, it is what it is. Uh, crying while reversing. What? Just je- Sam Elliott just oh, gently just... weeping while in reverse. <laughs> uh, foreign language at one. Uh, best sound editing. Oh! Matt, we got to get Matt all over again. <laughs> it lost Rainbow, both. Really? No, no, no. No, no, no. So much worse, Tierney. It lost both of the sound awards to Bohemian Rhapsody. Oh my god. <laughs> that movie sounded like nothing. <laughs> that movie was just like bad oh. dubbing and like oh god. That's why I think I dislike 2018 so much because all these fucking boring ass bait <laughs> movies, awards bait movies kept getting love from people being like, "Oh, Bohemian Rhapsody is the best movie I've ever seen." Bohemian like, Rhapsody. Have you seen other movies? <laughs> Bohemian Rhapsody <laughs> made almost a billion dollars. Just wow. people kept coming. <laughs> I was so angry. So I was working at the theater at the time, and it got nominated. Like all these movies got nominated, and people kept coming in to see Bohemian Rhapsody and Green Book. Meanwhile, we still had the favorite playing. We still had like Beale Street playing. We still had these like really great movies playing, and these people were like. Can I get one for Bohemian Rhapsody? I'm like, I have to sell you this ticket because I don't want to lose my job, but fuck, I really don't want you to go see Bohemian Rhapsody. Or the people who would come up and be like, I want to see that Green Book one or the Green Book. And I'm like, fuck all of you. You You're not even getting the name right. Go see something that's worth your time. What's it actually called? It's just called Green Book. But people like oh. the amount of people who came in to say like they wanted one ticket to the Green Book. I definitely thought what that's what it was called, but I also don't care to learn. Uh, it's just driving <laughs> me fucking crazy. I know it is that movie oh. that robbed Roma. Oh my god, yeah, Bohemian thief. Rhapsody. What a fucking joke. Um okay, and then it lost production design to Black Panther, but it won cinematography. So Yay. Okay. Yay. I think it like production design is maybe the one that I would make the strongest argument outside of original screenplay. I think. Um, or cinematography. The it won cinematography. Won. I don't have to argue that. Oh, one. for the one that didn't win, got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, but otherwise, I think like it got nominated for a bunch of shit that it probably should have been nominated for, and it won. It should have won a few more, but it won mm-hmm. a few things that it definitely should have won. Which so like. Good on you. One thing while, while we're talking about Oscars, I do think it's really interesting. <clears throat> so two years in a row, the best movie of the year was ostensibly not necessarily a movie about class, at least in terms of Roma, but like mm. a movie that had a, <clears throat> a strong element of class or like, you know, class divisions. Yeah. And... <clears throat> were foreign language films and were like generally appreciated as the best movies of the year. Yeah. Which like we had that two years in a row, which is awesome. Cause like the Academy Awards are still bad. Obviously uh, two years ago, they gave the best picture of the year to green book as we've just bitched and moaned about for the last what? 10 minutes. Really? But 
Like, the fact that Roma got 10 nominations, the fact that Alfonso Cuaron won three Academy Awards, the fact that the very next year, a different foreign language film won Best Picture, won Best Director, you know, like, got all the nominations, was widely regarded as the best movie of the year, and actually earned the awards that it got, like, that's pretty exciting. And, you know, we'll see what happens this year. This year's been a weird year for movies, obviously. But it's, like, kind of heartening to see, at least in some regards, the Academy's going in a a good direction. Having said that, though, it is kind of bullshit that nobody got nominated for acting for Parasite. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Which, like, this is not a Parasite pod, although it could be because that movie fucking rules, but... Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just... I, I As I was watching it, watching re- re-watching Roma, I was like, oh, that's a really interesting, like, yeah. back-to-back um, mm. in 2018, 2019. Mm. Mm. <laughs> what have um, you guys been up to this week? I can start. Um, so I, as some of you know, every year I try and watch 100 new release films. Um, I dropped my goal to 50 this year just because studios weren't releasing a lot of stuff. Yeah, a lot of stuff was going uh, virtual, but I was just like, I, I just can't. So I'm at 40 now, 41, I think. Um, so I'm like on my way to 50, but part of that, part of my week was spent watching, catching up on some 2020 releases. So, uh, I watched a documentary on Netflix called Dick Johnson is dead and everybody should watch it. It's really good. Tierney, you especially should watch it. It's about this mm-hmm. woman who is, uh, <clears throat> her name's Kirsten Johnson. She is a um, documentarian. She's, uh, like a a camera woman. Um, she like shoots documentaries. Um, but this is one that she directed and, uh, it's all about how it's like her relationship with her dad as her dad is declining. Um, and they like know that her dad's going to die. Um, they don't really know when, but it's just kind of like, yeah, like he's on the decline. This is the thing that's going to happen. So her way of coping with it is, uh, filming these elaborate death sequences. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, uh, this doesn't sound like something I'd like. Up oh, no, no, no. <laughs> uh, so, like, she hires, like, a stunt, like, she hires, like, a team of stunt people to, like, help film these scenes. So there's one where her dad is just, like, walking down the streets of New York City and an air condition window air conditioning unit falls on his head. <laughs> He's just... Obviously, like, it doesn't actually fall on his head. Like, it's all, you know, staged. Uh, but then it's just like, he's just walking, air conditioner hits him, and the next thing you see is he's on the ground and there's just a pool of blood, <laughs> like, spilling. <laughs> it's so funny. But it's also just, like, very, very sweet and heartwarming and... Mm-hmm one of the better movies i've seen this year admittedly a low bar but a very very good movie that i think everybody should check out but tyranny you especially i was like she would fucking love this shit (laughs) (laughs) um i saw on the rocks and trial of the chicago seven two of like the showier best picture plays and both of them i thought were good um i don't really have much else to say uh possessor which is a movie that matt was super jazzed about uh and we both watched and was fine. <laughs> it was fine. It was it was not bad. It was good. 
But yeah. it just, like, was very straightforward in a way that I was not expecting. I was like, oh, yeah, okay, that's, yeah, that's the whole thing. Okay. Yep. All right. Um, I watched Greyhound, the Tom Hanks submarine movie, which, like, mostly was bad, but um, it, like, had a lot of, like, actual, like, naval battle sequences, which is something that I don't see, like, I haven't, I don't watch a lot of war movies, but I haven't seen a lot of, like, naval battles. Um, so, like, I thought that was kind of cool. And then I watched the um, Ben Affleck is an alcoholic basketball coach movie, The Way Back, which is exactly what you think it is and like it does the thing that it's trying to do and it's fine ben affleck is really good but that's that and this is not the way way back this is no, just, just the way back pretty funny movie yeah yeah way, way back. yeah the way back is not good or not as good as that it's fine got it, got it. uh and then the last thing uh avatar the last airbender finally got good and so I'm, like, deep into that right now. Uh, Matt's been telling me... I mean, you guys have all been listening. Uh, Matt's been singing that show's praises since this summer. And it has been a real slog for me to get through this show. I really... The first season was mostly bad. The finale was really good. So I was like, all right, fine. I'll give this another try. And the first half of season two was still not good. And I kept texting Matt, like, dude, what the fuck? Uh, but yeah, second half of season two really kicks it into high gear and I've watched like, uh, 15 episodes in the last like day and a half. (laughs) So, so yeah, I'm in it now. And next time we record whatever we record, I definitely will be done because my plan for the rest of the weekend is to just continue watching Avatar The Last Airbender. True. Azula's cool as fuck. Azula's like one of the best villains. She's ruthless. Azula's dope. Uh, but Iroh is really where it's at. Uncle Iroh, baby. If anything happens to Iroh, if anything happens to Iroh, I will definitely stop watching the show, because I'm not really that tethered to the show anyway, so. (laughs) Yeah, uh, get ready. Season three, I think, is my favorite season, uh, and it's just lit throughout. Um, what have I been doing? Thank you for asking. Uh, I watched Possessor. It was, it was good. Uh, I watched all of the Queen's Gambit, and it was phenomenal. Uh, one, I think probably my favorite Netflix original series uh, that they've released. Uh, it's about chess. Uh, it's starring Anya Taylor Joy. Everybody's queen. 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 Uh, and really, like, gets to really shine in this in a way that uh, I like. She's always good, and this one I was like, "Are you really leading quality?" Like, you can pull the weight of a series. Uh, she's so good. And it's just a constantly surprising show. Every time you think they're going to do the conventional thing and you're, like, kind of prepared for it to be like, oh, yeah, I guess that makes sense. They don't. And they take a route that you're not expecting, just like chess. Uh, they're, like, two, two moves ahead of you. Um, and, yeah, it's only seven episodes long. It's a miniseries. Heath Ledger was originally supposed to direct the movie adaptation. Oh, um, but then he died. So interesting. That didn't happen. Um, I watched all of that. I watched <gasps> Matt. What did you know that uh, Scott Frank, the guy who created mm-hmm. uh, the show, uh, was also the writer for Minority Report? Weird, because I watched Minority <laughs> Report last night, not oh. knowing that. <laughs> Weird. Uh, yeah, I rewatched Minority <clears throat> Report uh, to look at the story structure. Um, I still think it holds up. 
it's got like real cheesy parts and i do think uh the oversaturated brightness of the movie actually doesn't do it a lot of favors i think it's an interesting like choice that spielberg made to make it like a noir that's overly lit but i think at times it's like there's really not that much interesting going on in this frame because it's all like blinded out it's just bright white um but i love minority report it's one of my favorite movies and what was the other thing that i watched uh that was like no really notable Uh, must not have been that notable i was gonna say damn (laughs) sounds like it's (laughs) damn guess not um yeah i don't know never mind that's all queen's gambit was cool uh (laughs) that's what i did if i remember i'll bring it up but t what have you been up to uh mostly reading uh but i did start the episode but it's really a movie of uh the first one of small acts the steve mcqueen mini suite Mm. mini series uh, first one is called Mangrove, and I am halfway through. Had to stop because I was rudely interrupted by this podcast. Uh, <laughs> but the first half of it is fantastic, as you would only ever imagine from a Steve McQueen movie. Um, Justice every, for Widows, man. Justice for Widows. That movie's so fucking shot, good. <laughs> every shot is a is like a art piece. Like everything is, all of his movies, his movies are very visual, I feel like, and they're all very like, I don't know, the cinematography on them is so artfully composed. Um, but it's really good, I like it so far. Is uh, Letitia Wright the main, mm-hmm. is that, this is hers? Um, There's like a bunch of main characters, but she is one of the central characters. Um, Bless. But one thing I did realize is so this takes place in Notting Hill and it's um, like West Indies immigrants in London Um, and Paddington (gasps) is also filmed in Notting Hill and I've always wondered why I was like why do they have the steel drum band as like a Mm. feature in Paddington and watching this I was like I wonder if that was like a nod to the neighborhood that Paddington lives in. Oh. Interesting. I have yet to do the research, so <coughs> I might be wrong. But. <laughs> um, Did you know that Notting Hill is was shot in Notting Hill? So, oh my God. one other quick thing that I want to bring up <laughs> that is similar to Tierney I have not done the research on, but I saw it and thought of you guys. Um, Brian Grubb, who writes for Up Rocks, he's a TV critic, uh, wrote a piece this week that's literally just... <laughs> him thinking about and ranking potential Paddington 3 villains. <laughs> and I only saw a, a screenshot of one of his suggestions, uh, but it was Olivia Coleman, <laughs> And he was like, I think that she's just great. And I don't have any reason why I think she should specifically be a Paddington villain other than I think she would be really good at it and it would be awesome. <laughs> I was like, yeah. this is a fun exercise and I'm glad that Up Rocks is paying somebody to do stuff like this. <laughs> I love yeah. that. I'd go as far as to say that she would be a good one because she's so good at polite meanness. Yeah. About about uh, just driving a knife through, but saying it with please. Uh, and I think that's exactly the kind of humor that Paddington thrives on. Yeah. Um, also, I remembered the other movie that I watched. Uh, it was. Uh, I don't know if I don't know if you guys have seen it or heard of it, uh, but it's Casablanca. Oh uh, fuck! I watched it for the first time. 
<laughs> I and almost called. The, I almost mentioned that when I was talking about you not liking old movies. So yeah, I'm, bitch, glad, I'm glad it came back around. Because, you know, the thing you said about how some of the sayings were uh, yeah. that like don't hold up because you've heard them so many times. Casablanca, it holds up. It, it holds like, the fuck it. up. It's so it really good. Really nails it. Uh, Victor Laszlo as a character. I was saying to my friend Jim yesterday, I would pay money to see an Aaron Sorkin Victor Laszlo miniseries just about the character Victor Laszlo either before or after Casablanca just being a cool dude and leading the revolution and escaping from concentration camps four times uh, or three times or whatever it is but like underrated character I did not know was in Casablanca and even when he was in it I was like oh this and this guy has to be kind of a jackass because he's got the love interest of Bogart. Nope, he's just a cool dude. He's a hero. Very good at being good and cool. Uh, and I was like, I'd love to see more of it, more Laszlo. And you know who writes optimistic heroes really well? Aaron Sorkin, writer of Chicago 7. Um, so that's all. Uh, I guess with that, uh, I'm finished!